0: Well, for our guests, my name's Rick. I'm one of the pastor elders here at Trinity, and I have the privilege of bringing God's Word this morning. Also for our guests, our lead pastor, Tim Merwin, and pastor elder, Christian Moscoso. They're currently in Columbia serving various churches there and some pastors there, but they will be back this coming week, and will be back this next Sunday. Well, last week, Josiah... Wrapped up our mini series on the covenants. So this morning, I will be bringing us back to uh, our Samuel series. But before we get started, let's pray. Well, Father, I come to you this morning needing your help and bringing your word to your people. Holy Spirit, would you help me to communicate your word clearly and accurately this morning? Would you work in the hearts of your people, changing us for your glory, Lord. Equip us to bring the gospel message to our families, friends, community, and beyond, Lord. Father, I also pray for Tim and Christian as they are serving your churches in Columbia. I pray you would guide them, you would strengthen them, and protect them, Lord. And may their time in Columbia bear much fruit for your gospel. And I pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, we are in chapter 8 of 2 Samuel. And the title of this morning's message is God's wars, I mean, I'm sorry, David's wars, Lord's victories. And I believe the main idea of this morning's message is that David goes to war The Lord gives the victories, and the peoples reap the benefits. My computer's being stubborn. (laughs) Now, as I mentioned, we just finished our mini-series on the covenants. And as part of our mini-series, we look closely at 2 Samuel chapter 7, which is a passage of huge importance because it covers God's covenant with David. Now, David desired to build a permanent house for God, but instead God promised to build a house for David and not the brick and mortar kind, one that would last forever. 2 Samuel seven sixteen says, Your house and your kingdom shall be made sure forever before God. Your throne shall be established forever. So if you missed the um, covenant series, I would strongly encourage you to go back and watch those. Well, this morning in 2 Samuel chapter 8, we see David who is at a high point in his kingship over a united Israel. David has conquered the city of Jerusalem, and the Ark of the Covenant is now home atop holy Mount Zion. And celebrating God's glory and granting his people such amazing victories, David writes Psalm 68. Verse 1 says, God shall rise, he's saying, his enemies shall shall be scattered, and those who hate him shall flee, flee before him. So with that promise in hand, David sets out with his army intent on witnessing the victories of which he prophesied in verse 2 of Psalm 68. As smoke is driven away, you shall drive them away. As wax melts before fire, you shall, so the wicked shall perish before God. So as smoke is driven away. Now, have you ever watched a sporting event and your team is just dominating the other team? And you would say, man, my team smoked them. Now, that might be a term more for my generation, but it reminded me of a family trip that we took last year to the mountains. And we rented a cabin. And on the bottom floor of the cabin was a pool table. Well, Justin, my son... Boldly challenged me to a game of pool. Well, after a few games, I was saying to Justin, I smoked you again. Well, God was with David, and David smoked his enemies. And I wonder if that's where that term came from. But, church, this is an all out attack on the enemies of God's people. David is continuing to expand his kingdom and leads the Israelites to victory after victory after victory. Everything is going right for David. David's army is on the move, and the victories are nothing short than amazing. Our text this morning summarizes these military victories, and with that in mind, let's go ahead and jump into point number one, David's wars. David's conquests expanded the kingdom to the west, the Philistines, The east, the Moabites, north, Aram, and south, Edom. The kingdom boundaries were extended to what God had originally promised to Abraham back in Genesis 15, verse 18. And that might sound familiar to you from our covenant series. Now let's first look at David's war against the Philistines. The Philistines have been a thorn in Israel's side for a long time, constantly attacking them. If you remember back in chapter 5, the Philistines hearing that David was king thought it was best to attack quickly to try to end his reign, but they failed. Also remember King Saul and his two sons were killed fighting the Philistines. And let's not forget that David came very close to fighting with the Philistines against his own people, but God intervened. But now David is king over a united Israel. And we read in verse 1, after this, David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And David took Mithagamma out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, some commentators believe that Mithagamma may be the Philistines' chief fortress city, Gath. And we've heard a lot about Gath in our Samuel series. We're looking at 1 Chronicles 18, verse 1. It tells us that David defeated the Philistines and subdued them. And he took Gath and his villages out of the hand of the Philistines. Now, David's victory over the Philistines was so complete that they never again posed a serious threat to the Davidic kingdom. Well, church, no matter what you're facing this morning, I want you to be encouraged. Our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ came and so completely annihilated our enemy that though we still fight the flesh... In battle with the enemy, our enemy is nonetheless an absolutely defeated foe. So thank you, Lord, for that. Well, next up are the Moabites. Look with me at verse 2. And he defeated Moab, and he measured them with a line, making them lie down on the ground. Two lines he measured to put to death, and one full line to be spared. And the Moabites became servants to David and brought tribute. Now, why put two out of three Moabites to death? I mean, it seemed a little bit severe to me, especially knowing that David has Moabite blood through his ancestor Ruth, and also if you remember back in First Samuel chapter 22, verse three, David took his parents to the Moabites when he was fleeing from Saul for his life. Well, we don't know for sure why the severe treatment. But John Calvin notes that since the Lord gave the Moabites so many occasions to moderate themselves, and yet they grew worse and inflamed themselves in all cruelty, it was quite fair for them to be punished in good measure, once for all, and for their arrogance to be broken. Well, the Moabites were so badly defeated that it made it physically impossible for them to take up arms again. Well, next up, David's victory over Hadad-Ezer of Zoba. So let's read verses 3 and 4 in your Bibles. David also defeated Hadad-Ezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah, as he went to restore his power at the river Euphrates. And David took from him 1,700 horsemen and 22,000 foot soldiers. And David hamstrung all the chariot horses, but left enough for 100 chariots. Now, to hamstring a horse was to cut the sinew in the back of the leg. And what that would do is that horse would no longer be capable of any speed. So basically, you had a horse that was only useful for farm use. Now, why would David do that? Because we're going to read here in a minute that 22,000 Syrians are going to come to Hadad Ezer's aid. Now, I would think that those other horses would be very helpful with it pulling those chariots. Um, Deuteronomy 17:6 says, but he shall not multiply horses for himself, nor cause the people to return to Egypt to multiply horses. So what this meant was on human terms, the king's army composed mainly of infantry would be significantly weaker than an army that is equipped with many chariots and a cavalry. So why would this be a requirement? I mean, wouldn't you think you'd want the biggest, baddest army you could have, especially knowing that the Syrians are coming? Well, the point is that an obedient Israelite king was not to depend on its military strength, but on the Lord alone. Church, may that be true of us today as we walk through this life. May our dependency not be on our own might on our God. Church, in our weakness, God, he is strong. So, I'm sorry, got a little mixed up there. Well, as I mentioned earlier, the Syrians are going to come to Hadad-Ezer's aid, and sure enough, here they come in verses 5 and 6. When the Syrians of Damascus came to help Hadad-Ezer, King Azobah, David struck down 22,000 men of the Syrians. Then David put garrisons in Aram of Damascus, and the Syrians became servants to David and brought tribute. And the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. Now, David would go on to strike down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. So we're going to jump to verse 13 and 14, and we'll come back to verses 7 through 12. Starting in verse 13, And David made a name for himself when we returned from striking down 18,000 Edomites in the Valley of Salt. Then he put garrisons in Edom. Throughout all Edom he put garrisons, and all the Edomites became David's servants. And the Lord gave, gave victory to David wherever he went. Wow. What we just read are some amazing military victories. I mean, these are huge victories. It's victory after victory after victory. And this is David, the shepherd boy who defeats stronger, wiser, and older kingdoms than his own. Well, earlier I mentioned about smoking Justin and Poole. Well, after a few games of victory after victory after victory, I got the big head syndrome. And Justin was able to pull out a couple wins. Well, I had to regroup. I had to humble myself and realize that my victories didn't come from my great skill and pool. I was just lucky. Now, David, David knew it wasn't luck. And it wasn't his great skill. Even though he did have a skillful army, David knew exactly where his victories are coming from. They are coming from the Lord. Two times in our text, we've read, the Lord gave victory to David wherever he went. We saw that in verses 6 and 14. Whenever something is repeated in Scripture, church, it should get our attention. God wants us to note something that's important. The source of David's victories came from the Lord. Yes, David was used by God, but the source of his power was the Lord. Himself. You see, church, God wanted the people to put their trust and confidence in Him and nothing else. David in Psalm 20, verse 7, wrote, Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of our Lord God. You also read in Psalm 33, verses 16 and 17, The king is not saved by his great army. A warrior is not delivered. By his great strength, the war horse is a false hope for salvation. And by its great might, it cannot rescue. Church, in reading through these chap- this chapter, we may think that these victories were easily accomplished, that David's army just breezed right through each one of these battles. But that would not be accurate. Psalm 60 indicates that these wars were hard-fought wars. And without God, victory would have been impossible. These wars took many years of hard fighting. There were many opportunities for fear and doubt to creep in, to be tempted to look ahead and to be overwhelmed with what lies ahead, to give up hope. But David's trust was in the Lord. He didn't look at his worldly capabilities, the impossible task ahead. His focus and trust was on God alone. Church, when we are faced with difficult times, with a crisis in our life, what do we put our trust in? What do we focus on? It could be a financial crisis, a health crisis. It could be difficulties in your marriage with your children. The list could go on and on. Having some emergency funds, a good doctor eating healthy, a great marriage, obedient children. I mean, these are all good things. But a little warning is needed here. And both need and plenty. We can forget that both can be a slippery slope. David was prospering. He kept winning every battle. Church, for the most part, we are prosperous Christians. Yes, at times the battle is hard. But overall, Christians in America, we have it pretty good. I personally don't have a close friend who has been beaten and thrown in prison for preaching Christ. In 2021, the U.S. was listed as one of the wealthiest countries in the world. Americas also have some of the best doctors, which I am personally grateful for. David just kept winning victory after victory. Prosperity Church. Beware of your prosperity. It can easily lead to your downfall. Later on in 2 Samuel, we will see an example of this in David's life. Now, if someone told you that you, if someone that you greatly admired told you that they have learned the secret to facing all things in life, you'd listen, right? I know I would. Well, the Apostle Paul lets us in on the secret in Philippians 4, 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now, unfortunately, this is a commonly misunderstood scripture. We are to trust God in the good as well as in the bad. Paul learned it because he lived it. You see, in verse 12, Paul said, I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. Church, is it's as if he is saying, I know how to win, to have victory, how to be prosperous. And I know how to lose and to go without. But either way, Christ strengthens me, lowly or abounding. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. In 1939, the <clears throat> me. In 1939, the United Kingdom government made a motivational poster to encourage its citizens as they were preparing to enter into World War II. And it read, "Keep calm and carry on." Now we've seen many versions of this. "Keep calm and trust God" would be one of those common ones, and that's not bad. But there was one that caught my attention. Trust God and carry on. You see, I believe that's what Paul was telling us. Trust God and carry on speaks of God is trustworthy, but we have a responsibility. So Trinity, go to war. Trust your God and fight your flesh. Trust God for your salvation and work it out with fear and trembling. And as you fight, trust God. David knew he was to act, but it was the Lord who brought the victories. And that brings me to my second point, the Lord's victories. Now David wrote Psalm 60 during his time. The first 10 verses describes the people in 2 Samuel 8 that David conquered. What I want you to notice is David's conclusion In Psalm 60, verse 11 and 12. Oh, grant us help against the foe, for vain is the salvation of man. With God we shall do valiantly. It is He who will tread down our foes. Now, David, he had to go out and fight. He didn't just sit in his chair and say, The Lord will tread down my foes. David fought hard and long for the victories, he had to act. There was no passivity here. Church, as believers, we want victories in our life against sin to be used by the Lord to do his will, wanting the gospel to go forward. But are we failing to seek God on how he wants us to participate? It can be easy to want God to act and even to pray for it, but are we listening and responding when the Lord prompts us to move. Believer, trust God and carry on. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace towards me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I, but the grace of God that is with me. 1 Corinthians 15, 10. Church, and serving God, we don't want to be passive. We want to work hard. We want to strive for excellence. But at the end of the day, all of our accomplishments are due to the Lord. So as we look at David's wars, we need to be reminded of the greater king, our Lord Jesus Christ. The kingdom that God began with David ends with Jesus, who will reign forever and ever King Jesus triumphs over all his enemies. Jesus conquers all opposition. Jesus' kingdom has no end. Answer 26 in the Westminster Shorter Catechism does a wonderful job in summarizing Jesus' kingship. Christ executes the office of king in subduing us to himself, in ruling and defending us, and in restraining and conquering All his and our enemies. Church, Jesus will conquer all his enemies, and his kingdom will extend to the ends of the earth. That is good news. I am so grateful for my King, Jesus Christ, who conquered our enemy, sin and death. How did he conquer sin and death? Well, by offering his perfect life as a sin atoning sacrifice and securing our future. Now that, church, is an amazing victory. So let's go back and read verses 7 through 12. And David took the shields of gold that were carried by the servants of Hadad-Ezer and brought them to Jerusalem. And from Betha and from Berothi, cities of Hadad-Ezer, King David took very much bronze. When Tori, king of Hamath, heard that David had defeated the whole army of Hadad-Ezer, Tori sent his son Joram to King David to ask about his health and to bless him because he had fought against Hadad-Ezer and defeated him. For Hadad-Ezer had often been at war with Tori. And Joram brought with him articles of silver, of gold, and of bronze. These also King David dedicated to the Lord Together with the silver and gold that was dedicated from all nations he subdued from Edom, Moab, the Ammonites, the Philistines, Amalek, and from the spoil of Hadadezer, the son of Rehob, king of Zobah. So, church, God gave David the victories, and David used each of those victories to serve the Lord. David did not take the spoils of war to increase his own personal wealth. He dedicated them to the Lord for the benefit of his people. David fought hard and long during these wars, and there was many, many sacrifices made. Now he could have said, now it's time for me to kick back and enjoy the fruits of my labor. I'm going to take the spoils of war and lavish it on myself. I'm tired. I deserve a break today. But David knew the riches belonged to the Lord. So David took great delight in putting these riches aside to one day to be used for the building of the temple on Mount Zion. Likewise, church, as we labor and earn wages, may our delight be in contributing to what God is doing through his church. We as believers should have a passion to advance the gospel message. David is pointing us to the greater king, King Jesus, who secured great blessings for his people. Jesus' death secured forgiveness of sin for those who put their trust in him. Jesus' death secured adoption into God's family for each person who believes in him. And Jesus' death secures eternal life for those who trust in him. And Jesus sends the promised Holy Spirit as the divine enabler who gives believers righteousness, peace, and joy. All the riches of this world, the spoils of your labor, can never buy you peace and joy. Only the spoils that Jesus secured on the cross can bring real peace and joy. The good news is that the spoils that Jesus secured are available to any person who is willing to submit to Jesus, no matter what your past has looked like. Paul explained in Colossians 2, 13 and 15 that God has forgiven our sins by canceling the record of debt that stirred against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. Jesus, by his victories, disarmed the threat of judgment. And what about the curse of death? This enemy, our final enemy, it has been conquered by our Lord and Savior's mighty resurrection. 1 Corinthians 15, 55, 57 says, O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Well, let's read the remainder of 2 Samuel, verses 15 through 18. So David reigned over all Israel, and David administered justice and equity to all his people. Joab, the son of Zeruiah, was over the army, and Jehoshaphat, the son of Ahilid was recorder, and Zadok, the son of Ahitub, and Ahimelech, the son of Abiathar, were priests, and Saraiah was secretary, and Benaiah, the son of Jehoiada, was over the Karathites and the Parathites fights, and David's son, sons were priests. That was tough for a Rockledge boy. Oh, really? <laughs> Good job. Good job. David's, David's earthly kingdom has now been established. And at the onset, the king administered justice and equality for all his people. Church, this is a foreshadowing of King Jesus who will reign in righteousness and will rule in justice for eternity. So church, let me ask you this. What should our response be for Christ's victory for us? May we represent Christ in such a way that strengthens and blesses his church. May non-believers see the fruit of the Spirit at work in us. What should our response be for Christ's victory for us? Well, remember back in verse fourteen, David put garrisons throughout all Edom, and after he defeated them, to safeguard his people. Believer, safeguard your witness. Be on guard. Fathers, single mothers, safeguard your homes. In Acts twenty verse twenty nine, Paul compares threats as fierce wolves who would want nothing more than to devour your family. Your family is your number one discipleship responsibility. So what should our response be for Christ's victory for us? Parents, safeguard your children. Are we allowing the media to raise our children today? Be in their lives, actively sharing Christ. Deuteronomy says, you shall teach them diligently to your children. And what should our response be for Christ's victory for us? Young people, hear me, young people, safeguard your relationships. Who are you being influenced by? What do you believe? Not your parents. What do you believe? And retirees, safeguard against the rule's view of retirement. Retirement. The enemy wants us to believe that it is now all about us, that we earned all the me time we can handle. What an opportunity the Lord has given us to bless the church. And I'm I'm very thankful. I've had so many great just examples to follow um, with different retirees in this church. Well, church, in conclusion. God had a sovereign plan for David's life and that David trusted his God to deliver, even against all odds. Imagine all those victories, what that must have done for those people living under David's rule. Imagine the confidence they must have had when they went into battle because they trusted the Lord and they knew the victory was theirs. Believer, do you know you are living And the kingdom under King Jesus. Even your losing day is a winning day. What odds are against you? Can you trust your king? What battles are you facing that has you wondering if you serve a big enough king? Church, we are to trust our Lord and Savior whose ability and willingness to deliver us is as true as it was for David. It's true for us. Mm. War wins, defeats, over and over again. What does it accomplish? I want you to think back to all those chapters as we've been going through Samuel, with David being pursued by his enemies over and over again, year after year, how he must have felt. Do you feel like that sometimes? Your battle, fill in the blank, just never seems to end. But for those with a proper hold on the eternal, there is an inseparable guarantee for their future. Romans eight thirty six thirty seven 37, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Now some will use 2 Samuel 8 to tell us that we all can live a victorious life. That we just have to have enough faith. That we need to claim it and believe it. Well, I have news for you. Living the Christian life is not the easiest life to live. There are struggles with sin. You take one step forward and two steps back. Before I was a believer, I didn't struggle with my sin at all. There are those in the world today that are being severely persecuted for their Christian beliefs. Try telling them to live their best life now. Scripture acknowledges that difficulties and at times severe difficulties do come to Christians. Christians are not exempt from suffering and death. Earthly things, including our lives, come with no guarantee. But we are more than conquerors, because God turns everything to good. He weaves together all the things in our lives to conform us, to draw us, to use us, and to glorify us in the end, church. Scripture assures us that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. In Christ Jesus, our Lord. Church, it's guaranteed. It's non-refundable. Never void or prohibited by law. No exclusions. There's no disclaimers. Paid in full. And this is guaranteed and it's transferable. From the cross to the resurrection, it was there, transferred to us, church. That is why Christ is the better king to stand and worship.